It would not be the end of a quarter in the film industry if there weren't major release date shifts during the pandemic. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And I am joined by a roster of three Box Office Pro All-Stars. Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, the chief analyst at Box Office Pro. This week, we're going to be hearing from and analyzing some insights uh, from execs at four major theatrical circuits. But before that, we have two big news items to discuss, and the, this episode is really going to kind of hinge around. In fact, this is the second time we're recording this portion because there had been one major news story before we recorded it, and then after we were done, another one broke, and we realized that they were they're too interrelated for us to be able to somehow just do a little addition. So, Rebecca, let's talk first about the initial big news item, which was that Regal Cinemas are planning to reopen in the U.S. and uh, have made a deal with Warner Brothers, uh, which affects uh, theatrical windows. It's a bit of a good news, bad news this week, so um, I don't know about y'all, but I'm happy to start with the good news. Yeah. Uh, Regal is indeed reopening its theaters in the United States. It will be opening some theaters on April 2nd, playing Godzilla vs. Kong, and then a larger number of theaters on April 16th with Mortal Kombat. Now, to specify, this is Regal Operations in the U.S. We are not talking about the U.K. locations of Regal's parent company, Cineworld. The latest update from that is that cinemas in the U.K. will be able to open as soon as May 17th. It might be later than that. We're still waiting to see. But with markets opening up in the United States and capacity restrictions easing, we are going to see Regal locations open up in the United States throughout April. Now, you'll notice those cinemas are opening with two Warner Brothers titles, and that's the other big piece of this news. Namely, that Cineworld has come to an agreement with Warner Brothers to screen their films under a 30 to 45-day theatrical exclusivity window moving on into 2022. Now, this is interesting in multiple ways. You know, in 2021, we're seeing Warner Brothers push their slate day and date in theaters and on HBO Max. There's been some speculation that, you know, are we going to see that continue beyond the pandemic? And now, at least uh, with Cineworld Regal Theaters, Warner Brothers properties moving forward are going to get some sort uh, of a theatrical exclusivity window. With this new agreement with Cineworld, Warner Brothers is kind of lining itself up in the 30 to 45 day window period uh, that Paramount and their investor call uh, a few weeks back also said they were going to be in for their major titles. You know, what's interesting to me is you look at Universal, which was the first major studio to start making these deals with exhibitors, and their theatrical exclusivity windows for some titles is as little as 17 days. Daniel, that seems like a pretty big discrepancy there. Yeah, there is a discrepancy there, as you note, Rebecca, but I think there's also a difference that exists in the sort of movies that these studios are putting out, right? So you have Universal that has a specialty brand under its wing, Focus Features, that releases several movies that aren't going to be that uh, great big blockbuster that are going to gross $300 million for 17 weeks, right? They have a lot of independent art house titles where they consider three weekends, 17 days, is probably a fair representation of where they're at with these films so they don't have to double up on a marketing spend three weeks down the line 
for the home entertainment release. Now, that is obviously different from both Paramount and Warner Brothers that while they do have award contenders, they don't really have an entire distribution outfit dedicated to them. That's why what we're seeing here is a 17-day window for really a specialty brand uh, from a major studio. And most of those universal titles from Universal Proper, most of those big multiplex titles, they will likely hit that 30-day exclusivity window. We didn't see that with Crudes, but Crudes was put out during a time when a lot of theaters were closed. Now, 30-day exclusivity from Universal, that's what, five weekend, guys? That's also more or less the indication we've been getting from Warner Brothers and from Paramount. They cite 45 days from some, for some titles, 30 days for other titles. It all, it all reminds me that this like 45-day period that we're really looking at a sweet spot here it reminds me of those discussions that uh, some reporting in both Deadline and Variety noted around Martin Scorsese's Irishman from Netflix when that was trying to get a wide theatrical release, where according to that reporting, Netflix was really pushing for a 30-day exclusivity window, which was actually the exclusivity window that went to Noah Baumbach's marriage story, if I'm not mistaken. But exhibitors were really pushing for a 60-day window. So essentially, that wide release on something like The Irishman didn't happen because we couldn't meet at the middle. The middle is 45 days. Now, Sean, that's not the only part of the theatrical exclusivity conversation from this weekend, as we know. We might have the best laid plans, but Disney, the number one studio out there in terms of box office grossing potential, just came out with some breaking news. Can you unpack that for us? Right. It would not be the end of a quarter in the film industry if there weren't major release date shifts during the pandemic. So the biggest news, Black Widow, we've all speculated and kind of expected some news for a while Disney made it official today. They'll be moving that film from May 7th to July 9th, and we'll now be releasing it day and date on Disney Plus with theaters, and it will be part of the streamer services premiere access, meaning there will be an additional charge for it. The same will be done with Cruella, although its theatrical date will remain May 28th. The next biggest announcement, which to some may be the most surprising, is that Pixar's Luca will uh, now be exclusive to Disney+, Plus, still releasing on June 18th and not part of their Premier Access package. And in addition, because of Black Widow's move to July, that also pushes Marvel's Shang-Chi to Labor Day weekend, which is probably going to be an interesting topic to discuss here in a couple of minutes. Uh, the studio also moved Free Guy from May to August 13th, the King's Man will now open December 22nd. Deep Water will now open January 14th of next year. And Death on the Nile will go February 11th of next year. It's a lot to talk about there. Yeah. Right. You know, Black Widow, I think we expected it uh, expected it to go hybrid. and you know, But that Luca thing is really a kick in the teeth. I mean, that's, a, that's the second consecutive Pixar movie now going straight to Disney Plus and not even at a premium price point, just your subscriber and you get it. I, I don't know if lost leader is the right way to term it, but certainly, you know, they Disney used Soul as a thing to get people to sign up to Disney Plus. Clearly they're using Luca in the same way. But I agree that that's a pretty big hit that, uh, you know, the summer's big original IP from Pixar 
is going straight to Disney Plus. Just especially coming right on the heels of these theatrical reopening announcements, it really seems like this is brutal timing, if nothing else. Uh, and you really you got to wonder which circuits kind of knew this was coming, and what some of the the you know behind closed doors conversations about these moves have been uh, between Disney and exhibitors. Especially Sean, as we've discussed before, I mean, in so much as anything can be said to have performed well during the pandemic, it's kids' movies that have performed well consistently and that have continued to bring uh, to bring families in throughout their run. Uh, films like Crudes, films like War with Grandpa, Tom and Jerry, and its great opening weekend. I mean, going into summer with a big theatrical Pixar movie for for movie theaters would have been spectacular. Right. It, on paper, it looked like a home run, all things considered, with, with the news we've had for the past month of reopenings and a lot of speculation that seating capacities can increase from 25 to 50% in major markets by, by June, if not before. I think there, there's going to be a lot to unpack with Luca. Maybe one of the considerations, which will also relate to Black Widow and, and virtually all of their films, is that they're looking at the trends of the pandemic in overseas markets. Because Pixar brands do tend to play very well in certain areas like Latin America, and Black Widow is a movie that will play everywhere. So, yeah, there, there's just really there. I think there are so many moving parts to these decisions. But it really is. I, I tend to agree with with all of you. It's the most surprising out of I think the announcements today. You know, compared to Luca, it's not nearly as big a question. But I do wonder, Sean, what you think about Marvel's Shang Chi going to Labor Day weekend. Uh, Labor Day weekend, not traditionally a big weekend for box office. Obviously, this year, there's reason to wonder if that might be a little bit different. Marvel also perhaps changes that equation a little bit because if anybody, anything can pull audiences in, maybe it's Marvel. It's also an original, yeah, or original IP from Marvel is not the way to put it, but it's a new character coming to the big screen. Uh, it's not a character we've seen on the screen before. It's Marvel's first movie that is basically led by an all-Asian cast. So there's a lot of interesting aspects to Shang-Chi. Uh, what do you make of that going to Labor Day? I think it follows in line with other release movies we've seen, like James Bond going into October, when that film typically would have either opened at the heart of holiday season or previously at the heart of summer. Of course, it, it was slated to go in spring at one point. So this kind of goes back to pre-pandemic shifts in what we look at as the movie-going calendar. And maybe this is a one-off exception. Uh, <laughs> people are just going to be coming back into outside life, like going to the movies throughout the summer. And I think that will extend well past the summer. So Labor Day could be an exception this year. Maybe it starts a new trend, not unlike comic book movies reversed uh, – the opening of summer movie season from Memorial Day to the start of May in decades past. Marvel has this domino effect. Anytime one movie is shifted, they have to consider what's going to happen with the other releases. And with four movies slated to come out this year, that's what makes Black Widow moving to a day and date release not terribly shocking. Uh, but it, it also means that both of these films can now open without impacting the release date of The Eternals and Spider-Man at the end of the year. Do you think this has anything to do with Marvel? Let me think of how to word this. I guess it's really that at this point, it kind of feels like Black Widow's moment has passed. And in a way, it's almost like you know we've, we've had Black Widow as a thing on the slate, not just for the past year and a half, uh, 
but because it already felt like a movie that Marvel should have done a long time ago. Uh, I'm not saying this is doing justice to the film, but I do wonder if from Marvel's perspective and Disney's perspective, it's just kind of like, you know what? We've got these other movies in the queue. Let's just move forward with this stuff and do what we can do with Black Widow. That's a fair question too. And they, we also, we don't have that, that context of knowing what this film is about, how it relates or doesn't relate to other movies. And yeah, I think it's absolutely appropriate to ask that question of even if it, it could still be a big hit. I think being the first Marvel movie to come to theaters itself will be an attraction, uh, especially since it's a well-known character. But even before the pandemic and the delays hit, there was, there was speculation that this being a prequel might shed some of its event status. At this point, anything's, anything's on the board, though, because... Uh, it'll be essentially the first Marvel film in two years. And there's never been a gap that long for the, for the studio. It's a crazy time right now where not only are these changes happening, but we're seeing a, a major studio that, that made a huge amount of money from movie theaters take premium content like this Pixar release, remove it from a period where movie theaters around the world could absolutely use uh, a title like that. And I mean, they could have easily rescheduled it. They didn't. They they decided to prioritize their streaming presence. The theatrical market is no longer alone for premium first-run product. It is part of a wider conversation. And I think we start, we start having to look and consider these titles and their success at the box office under radically different lenses. So with that preface, Sean, and it might be a little bit too early to tell, especially because the movie has been shifted from May to July, but you had run some models on what a day and date debut for Black Widow could bring in terms of box office forecasting. What are we looking at now that we know it's both day and date? And what could we have looked at had it been exclusive to theatrical? Take your pick from the scenarios. <laughs> I would say, so I think looking at this from the perspective of it having remained on May 7th, exclusive to theaters, that was the, the, the potential jolt to bring back a wide swath of moviegoers. Opening numbers-wise would have depended on capacities, but let's say for the sake of argument, they were back up to 50% or higher in major markets. And let's also you know kind of presume that marketing was pre-pandemic levels. Maybe it looks at 75 to 100 million type of opening. That would have been like the big kickstart and probably lower than it would have been pre-pandemic. But the, there are so many, I think so many scenarios we, we have to consider because this movie, like the rest of the industry, has been at the mercy of vaccine rollouts and every other possible uh, tangential connection with the pandemic. So looking at, the, looking at it from a day and date perspective... I, I think this now looks maybe more like a 40 to 50 million opener. This is very early speculation. I think models will change. They have about three months to change, and we honestly just don't have a lot of comparison points to look at. But, you know, this is, it, it's very hard to see it maximizing its theatrical potential now. But on the other hand, I do see a lot of people looking at this as a movie that they want to go see in theaters, even if it is available on streaming for an extra $30. Uh, right. This is still a destination movie, right? It's still something that anyone that really wants to go see that engaged fan base, they'll see it when it comes out. 
uh, I think where, where we might see a difference is in how well it holds in subsequent weeks, right? A little bit of a Wonder Woman 1984 scenario where the fans that were always going to see it in the theaters will see it in the first two weeks. After that, the people that might go see it, well, now they might go see it at home. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. Sean, my follow-up to that has to do with a schedule. Now that we have the shift from Disney and the changes that have happened, two questions here. What can movie theaters really expect from now to Memorial Day? Because really outside of uh, Warner Brothers with Kong versus Godzilla, I think Universal has nobody coming up. And then you've got Mortal Kombat in mid-April. It's looking a bit iffy there until Memorial Day. And the follow-up is, are there any titles now that you expect to change with the latest news from Disney? And if I could tack on to that, just in a general sense, I mean, with all the factors uh, that Daniel mentioned, with Black Widow moving, with whatever release dates change as a result of that, and with Regal opening now, what does May look like? Because I think that's a factor that needs to be brought into consideration as well. So uh, let me let me start with, I think, looking at the schedule before Memorial Day, you know, May is is barren now compared to what it looked like this morning and even just a couple of weeks ago, because we also have to remember that Sony just recently pulled Peter Rabbit out of that month into uh, a little bit deeper into the summer. So with what Disney's done with their slate, they've taken two key titles out of that first two thirds of May. And now we're left with very little in the way of major studio wide releases, not just in May before Memorial day, but also April. I think that will probably factor into some theater reopening decisions, but on the related side of that, this also opens up the opportunity for other studios to move into that window, which is not unprecedented because we've seen films like A Quiet Place Part 2 from Paramount move up several months to that Memorial Day slot as they've seen the trends improve with regard to the pandemic and reopenings. So as, as maybe negative as this news is viewed at the moment while we're recording, who knows, maybe a film like uh, a Top Gun probably remains in July, but you could have something like Hotel Transylvania 4 if it's finished. It's currently slated to open in July. It now has a wide open runway in May and June because there aren't any animated family films opening with uh, with Luca being absent. I think those are just a few examples. Who knows what else could move up, if anything does. And, you know, and Rebecca, to your question about Regal, that's a tough one to really address, I think, because... This is this is an announcement coming on the heels of their own announcement. And I think we all would kind of imagine that they had some insight as to what Disney was about to announce and are factoring that in. To me, I think on the broad scale, this just lengthens that transition and that recovery period we've all talked about. We all kind of hoped the big return to movie going would be in May. But now we're looking at, you know, probably July. And there will be a few months of lead up to that. And we just kind of have to take this a weekend at a time. Yeah, unfortunately, Sean, that's what it's looking like. July return to the movies with a, with a slow ramp up really occurring through April, May, and June. Thanks for those insights. Uh, we'll definitely be updating all of our forecasting and analysis on boxofficepro.com. Sean's weekly column on a weekend forecast can be found every Thursday. And on Select Fridays, we are also running our long-range forecast, looking at the, the next months ahead in the theatrical release schedule. 
Now, moving on to our feature segment, uh, we have the opportunity to bring in some insights from colleagues at four of the biggest circuits in the domestic market who shared their insights and experiences from the reopening process at our most recent webinar, focusing on our annual Giants of Exhibition list. Now, with much further ado, let's kick this off, Rebecca. I know we've got some really great quotes from some of our participants, including Regal's COO, Matt Ayer. Uh, Yes, Daniel. And when we spoke to Matt, Regal had not yet announced that they would be reopening, as they are in mid-April. But really, some of what he had to say was appropriate for the situation uh, that Regal is in right now. Namely, he spoke about the fact that, you know, Regal Cinemas were open for a period in September surrounding the release of Tenet. So in terms of kind of developing these operational and sanitational strategies, you know, they already have that baseline in place. But he had some interesting things uh, to say about bringing Regal back online in the U.S. and specifically how they're going to be able to do that, given the staff that they've been able to keep on and kind of the boots on the ground uh, knowledge that they've been able to to maintain over this last year. When we do come back, people know we're back, know that we're safe. We certainly didn't get any impression from our guests that they felt unsafe when they came back in September. But we just physically calculated that we were financially better off being closed. We did all the calculations and we couldn't figure out how to, with our rents, leases, payroll, etc., etc., we just couldn't couldn't stay open uh, in these circumstances. What we have done is we've kept a a good portion of our management team on. We've kept our district managers on. We've kept our regional directors on, ready to to get open. And what these guys have done in the background has been simply remarkable. We've learned a heck of a lot about how to do things better, do things more cost-effectively. Our GMs and our uh, district managers have learned how to do things that they've never had to do in the past, uh, which has been an amazing thing to see. You know, all these things that companies spend a lot of money on in the past, we figured out how to do it ourselves. So we stand in good, good stead when we come to reopening. You know, Ken and his marketing team are working hard on the Regal Crown Club, keeping everybody aware of what we're doing. And how we're doing, of course, we've got the private screenings ready, locked and loaded, ready to go. Working with our Crown Club on keeping those guys heavily informed about everything that we're doing. When we see possibilities to open, like I said before, we need to see a steady lineup in the studios before we commit to opening. But we don't see that being too far away right now. So indeed, that reopening ended up not being too far away. And our next clip comes from Wanda Gearhart. Cinemark's Executive Vice President and Global CMO. I mean, theatrical business, we're over, you know, a hundred year old industry. We've always been innovating. We want to stay alive during that hundred years, right? But I think this last year caused all of us, you all would probably agree, we had to innovate faster than we've ever had to innovate. And, you know, the mantra around Cinemark was really act like a startup. So what can you do um, and ideas that we can come up with to help drive business and to help um, fix and, and encourage customers to come back. So one of those is we've always rented out our theaters um, to businesses and to um, customers who want to watch a showing, a premiere, all those things. Um, and we made that journey completely as easy as booking a ticket. 
So instead of having to go through that day long process with us, you could get online and actually book your own private auditorium to watch a movie with your own body of people. That was a huge success for us. And we did that just listening to the customer's needs. How can we innovate? What can we launch um, quickly to compensate for that? And also our mobile concession. So again, trying to think of that customer service journey. We've been starting that pre-pandemic, and then we just up the ante and say we have to launch snacks and attack. They need to be able to order their concessions ahead of time, get it delivered to the seat. Again, making it a completely contactless journey for the customer when they enter our theaters with their ticket and their concession purchases. And I think those are some interesting insights that that Wanda gives in the digital experience uh, for the moviegoer. It's something that here at Box Office Pro, over the last five years, we've written about a lot, about how there is a digital disruption coming to the cinema industry, not only through the streaming platforms, I think that's not really a direct competition since it's more of a home entertainment conversation, but that digital disruption is coming in through having uh, mobile ordering, through having e-commerce, updated websites, new apps. We've really seen that explode uh, over the last couple of years, really revolutionizing the way that folks are buying movie tickets, buying concessions. We've often said it, that the pandemic has sped up some of these changes. I think that's certainly the case when we look at the impact of e-commerce at the cinema. And related to that positioning that Cinemark is having around its digital presence, we have a circuit like Cineplex up in Canada, which not only has the digital presence through the e-commerce channels, they also have their own streaming and home entertainment app, the Cineplex Store. And Sarah Moore, the Senior Vice President of Marketing over at Cineplex, was able to speak a little bit more on that topic. We're in a bit of a, a different position than, than others in the industry that we have a digital store offering, Cineplex Store with, with titles. So we, um, we've, we've gotten really good at understanding the entire life cycle, like a guest life cycle in terms of how they engage with it, but also the life cycle of, of that title. So we've been able to really get uh, it's helping deepen the understanding of our guests. We've got a whole new as we build in our database uh, and do more modeling on the on our guests. We we now have a, a whole raft of data in terms of how they uh, consume digital content as well with us. We already had a very strong loyal database uh, with through our loyalty program for the scene program. But now it's got it's multifaceted. So now we know that we can use all of these additional levers and data points to really market those titles better that you're talking about. So we become better theatrical marketers because we have a really robust understanding of customers and when and how they're choosing to consume titles um, and which titles. So we're really going to um, double down on that data and those learnings to really be able to maximize um, at each part. So making sure that we maximize the theatrical uh, experience for guests who need to see it and want to see it and come out and see it in all of its premium offerings and then really work with the guests through the entire life cycle to make sure um, that we are delivering um, and offering up the content that they want. And I think that's the number one takeaway that I personally got uh, from that Giants of Exhibition live session. Uh, there's been so many seismic changes to the exhibition industry by necessity due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And what you have to ask yourself and what these theaters are asking themselves is which of these changes moving forward do you keep? 
you have things like mobile ticketing, you have things like exhibitor PVOD. Uh, in the case of Marcus and many other circuits worldwide, and you have private cinema rentals. Ann Stadler, CMO of Marcus, actually had a great analogy likening this last year to building a house of cards where every few weeks it felt like the ground would shift underneath you and, and everything would come toppling down and, and you'd have to start rebuilding. Uh, you know, and, and what we are looking at now is as the ground gets a little bit more stable, you're building a house that's a little bit more stable than a house of cards, which of the changes to the status quo that we've seen over this past year are going to be longer lasting. When we think back a year ago, as, as leaders, it, it felt like we were building a card tower and we were given a deck of cards and we needed to start building. And then throughout the course of the day, whether it be an email or a call, whether it be government mandates, whether it be a film falling, whatever it was, we just having these card towers fall. And so trying to stay positive and trying to say, you know what, there's a lot of ways that we can do this. There's a lot of partners and a lot of people here who are committed to the industry. Let's make it happen. And so that's where we did get creative. Even when we were closed, what are the assets people love? They love popcorn. Let's do curbside drive up popcorn. You would not believe how appreciative people are. And just being able to have those associates be able to interact with customers was huge from, from a morale standpoint. And having that little bit of revenue just helped, again, from a business standpoint, um, to be able to show we're trying, we're, we're doing this, and, and let's keep as many associates as we can. Um, we launched our Marcus um, parking lot cinemas, which were um, we put screens on the outside of buildings and took advantage of people in their cars with social distances, as others did. We sold our um, Marcus movie fun packs and popcorns and offerings that people could send to themselves or their loved ones to enjoy that movie at home while they were closed. And that was Ann Sadler, the chief marketing officer over at Marcus Theatres, the number five circuit in the North American market. And again, you can find out when our upcoming box office live session webinars will be taking place by going on our website, boxofficepro.com, and clicking on the live sessions tab. You'll be able to find the entire schedule there of our upcoming sessions. And guys, it's been a crazy first year in starting a podcast and I think especially working on a trade publication around the movie theater industry. But uh, I wanted to thank uh, all of our co-hosts here today, all of our listeners and colleagues in this industry. And as we enter our second year, I wanted to give a shout out to our producer, Caitlin, who has been with us from the very start. Uh, Caitlin was really very responsible in getting this podcast up and running, getting the right teams involved. Uh, she introduced us to our producing partners over at Record Edit Podcast. She will be stepping away from the producer's role uh, in this second year. So on behalf of everyone here at the Box Office Podcast, Box Office Pro and the Box Office Company, we wanted to personally thank our colleague Caitlin for all of her magnificent work in getting us up and running. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. The Box Office Podcast is produced by recordeditpodcast.com. This episode was created by Daniel Luria, Rebecca Polly, Sean Robbins, and me, Russ Fisher. Join us again next week for more analysis and discussion of the upcoming box office landscape. Take care.